Welcome to the Power Women in Insurance Show with your host, Teresa Kitchens. Join us as we laugh, talk about hard issues, support each other, and make our industry and our world a better place. Let's go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Power Women in Insurance podcast. My name is Teresa Kitchens. I'm your host today. And thank you so much as we empower women in all areas of insurance to be able to hear and know the journey that other women have. So that way you can take a little bit of inspiration, apply it to your life and go out there and kick butt in the insurance industry. Today, we are talking to Sarah Muniz. And so we are working directly with her. She is fabulous now, guys. I have known Sarah in the insurance space, I'm not going to sit here and say we rub elbows all the time because we don't, but we were in the same space for a little while. And then she has been in a, a little bit different space for the last couple like year or so. But I'm excited to have her on because we actually talked about this, Sarah, I think right when the podcast first started, like two years ago, that you yes. were working on a book about being a woman in the insurance space and it has officially come out. So Sarah, finally... Welcome yes. to the podcast. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> well, like I said, this has been a long time in the making because I know that when we talked about this, because I started the podcast in March of 2020, and here we are. It is um, officially February 10th, Thursday, February 10th, 2022, and you've been working on this a long time. Tell us a little bit about the book. Tell us what inspired it, how long you've been working on it. I need all the details because this is so important to get the message out about being a woman in the insurance space. And I'm so excited for this book. Absolutely. Thank you. So uh, the name of the book is called Undiscovered Voices, um, Unlocking the Potential of Women in Insurance. So the main um, title is Undiscovered Voices. And then the subtitle is Unlocking the Potential of Women in Insurance. And I literally, literally have a little woman in a lock being unlocked and um, there's like a, um, a bubble of her being able to talk and then all these other women beside her that aren't able to speak up. Uh, And so, um, and I came, um, I came into this book, into this idea with a place of, um, wanting to help and make a difference. I didn't want to just like say, okay, these are all the bad things that happen. And it's, it's really hard to be a woman in this industry because let's face it, it's hard to be a woman in any industry. True. We still have a really long ways to go. Um, unfortunately, insurance has a longer um, way to go for, um, for equality as far as uh, men and women and even other races go to be on an even playing field. So I wanted to let people know that the inequality is still happening. And I shared my own personal stories a lot of very vulnerable stories. Mm-hmm. And um, what actually prompted the book was I was having a um, conversation with a girlfriend and she's all about like woman empowerment. She helps um, insurance agency owners that are women um, build up their confidence and build up their staff's confidence and their abilities. So she was asking me my story. I shared my story with her. And at the end of the story, she's like, wow, that was very interesting. You have a really good story. You should, you should share it with the world. You should write a book. And I think she was being facetious at the time. I don't think she <laughs> meant it literally. <laughs> um, but my response to her was, 
um, you know, like first was, I was like, I don't want to read a book that I write. And then was my first response. I was like, no. And then my second response was, well, I can't. And she's like, well, why can't you? And um, I told her I couldn't because in 2016, when I took a new position and had this really awful employer, um, he told, when he, when he fired me and he actually like forced me to quit, or he said, he said, he either you need to quit or I'm going to fire you. And um, if you make me fire you or you share what happened in this office with anybody, I'm going to have you blacklisted in the insurance industry and you'll never have a job again. Um, And I only worked with this guy for two months. Um, And it was, it was an awful experience. They don't tell you, you know, like everyone talks about the leap of faith. And I do believe in the leap of faith, but also it's scary. Like we don't talk about how scary the leap of faith is. And then what happens when you fall? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yep, the leap of yep. faith didn't take you to what you thought was going to happen. And that was yep. exactly what happened. Like my confidence was really, you know, high on my abilities. I felt good about myself until I took that job. And after, once I took that job, I mean, I splatted, my confidence just went down the tube. Mm. He was just very belittling. He, he just, he did a lot of things to make my life really awful. Those two months I worked for him. And then ultimately he told me he was firing me for crying too much. So yeah, he's like, I'm tired of hearing you cry. Well, he was, I was crying because he was on my case every minute right, <laughs> I worked right, for him. Right. And you know, you're like your confidence kind of sh- is a little shaken even when you take a new position, even though it might be in the same industry doing the same thing, you still have to rebuild. And I had a book of business and I was really confident in my abilities. And then when I started somewhere new, it was a different type of position I was still, I was kind of like not, you know, like a little bit not sure about myself. And then when I had someone like on my case all the time and I wasn't used to that, it just, it shook me. And it, um, and then, you know, I don't, I'm not like, I wouldn't say I'm a crier. Like I don't cry all the time, but I cried every single day that Mm -hmm. in that position. And then every time I talked to him, I was crying. And so he was right. I cried a lot, but I think a lot of it was he induced that (laughs) he was the cause of my like he was making my anxieties and my fears and my confidence just overwhelmed and I and I was scared on it you know that's what it boiled down to so I it took me like I mean I would say it took me four years from that point to really figure myself out and figure out where I wanted to be career-wise and four years is a long time when you're trying to figure out what what you need to do what you want to do what you're good at um build your confidence back up And at the time I thought he broke me. Like I really thought he broke me. And so when I told uh, my friend about that and I was like, she, her first response was, and she was mad at him, not me. She was like, who is this man? How does he have that much power in this industry? Who does he think he is? And I was like, well, and my response is, well, he's a, he's a guy in the industry. All the guys talk to each other. He probably could have me blacklisted. And um, she's like, no, I don't think he could. I think he was just using that to scare you. I agree. And right. he still has control over you now. And so it didn't sit with me well. And she's one of those people that will ask those like probing questions and get in your head. Yep. And it's like that little ninja that's stuck in your head. <laughs> and you got, you got it planted in there and you don't know why. And you just can't stop thinking about it. And all night I tossed and turned and could not sleep. And then... Um, I, uh, I woke up and I told my husband, I was like, I have to write a book. 
He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I have to write a book. And my inspiration is my fire is this guy who told me that, you know, he blacklisted me. I was like, not only am I going to tell his story and what happened, but I'm going to, I'm going to put it out for the world to see <laughs> versus just telling a few people. So, um, so that was me taking my control back. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think a lot of times things like happen and land in a certain way, in a certain order the universe knows more than we do. And it just happened to be that I had just met a publisher and became pretty good friends within that last year. And um, they only do insurance books. It's insurance nerds. Nice. And um, I, you know, I just um, texted Tony Connors and I was like, hey, would you be interested in a book about women and insurance? And he's like, yeah, send me an outline. Let's do it. And that was kind of like the end. (laughs) That's where the journey started. So, um, so it's, it's been a fun journey and I, I, I was a little obsessive in the beginning. Like I, I think I wrote 20,000 or 25,000 words within like a two or three month period of time. Wow. Um, I wouldn't say that it wasn't messy words, you know, I'm sure the punctuation and a lot of it was just me like releasing all these stories that I had in me. And then he, and then they helped me figure out, okay, like we need research. We can't just have stories because people won't, you know, be able to know what to do with the stories and, and what are we trying to accomplish with the book? Are we just calling out all the men that mistreated you or are we going to really like try to try to solve a problem? And the problem right. that um, I really wanted to solve, and I kept hearing a lot about it, especially like in 2020 and 2019 was, um, that's not having enough talent. Like people want to retire and they're afraid to retire because we don't have, we have a talent shortage. And it really didn't sit with me well that we had a talent shortage when I know so many other women, including myself that are very talented, but can't make it past a certain ceiling unless you go and open up your own agency. But a lot of women don't have that kind of money. Yeah. Um, And especially if you have a young family and you're the, I mean, there's so many different factors. And, um, so I, I started like really doing the research and really thinking about it and seeing like where the, the C-level women are in the insurance industry. And I thought it would be like, you know, 30% women in the C-level it's not, it's 12%. Wow. So we have 61% of the industry is our women and only 12% make it to upper level management positions and higher. Wow. Wow. So Okay, so this is actually a really interesting conversation because um, I do I do own an agency in Austin, a, a location in Austin, and then I own one here in Dallas. And so um, what I do, I actually just got back yesterday. So what I do is when I drive, I listen to the books. And so when I was driving this time, I finished off a book I've been working on called The Confidence Code. Have you have you read that book? I don't know if you have or not. And it's, it's just about women in general. It's just about women in mm-hmm. general. It's not insurance-based at all. And one of the things that they really say in there is that women are much more afraid to ask for that promotion, to get in there and to ask for the movement in their career. Whereas it's not that they're not worthy. It's not that they don't have the intelligence or they don't have the designations or the whatever it is, right? They just don't ask for what they want. Did you find in any way or shape in in this conversation that because I do believe that women are mentally and verbally uh, kept in one place in this industry. I really, really do. And I think maybe women are told 
that this is their place, right? And it's more of a support type situation. But I also think it's a combination of that and the fact that that's stereotypical where women are in the industry and women don't think or perceive that they could do more maybe. And they're not asked to do more, right? And But mm-hmm. I do think it's also that men ask to do more, a little bit more as well. What did you find in your research as why there's only 12% of women in that space? Or what have you seen in the insurance industry? Because I know that even with the women that I've hired, I have to encourage them and empower them to be able to step up a little bit more than I have the male people, the male counterparts that I have been able to have inside the agency. What, do you, what did you find in your research of what you're finding out there in the industry? So I think a lot of, as far as confidence levels go and where we fall on the spectrum is really interesting when I did the research on that. Because um, for women, we have to show that we we um, have the like, we've, we've performed the task in the past in order to feel confident about whether yep. we can do it or not. Yep. And typically, so the age group from 20 to 40, which I know is a wide group, but like women from 20 to 40 are very like, they're trying to prove themselves to not only their employers, but to themselves that they yes. are capable of more, right? And then by the time they hit 40, typically, which I'm right in that category, I <laughs> shouldn't be telling people that I am. <laughs> um, That's okay. You're safe with me. We're good. We're good. <laughs> um, but 40 is really when women's confidence, because we now have the experience and we can say like, yeah, I've done all these things and I know I can do more and I know I'm capable of more. Um, so 40 is kind of like that line for us where we're like, we start feeling more confident about ourselves, more sure about ourselves. And also you have to uh, remember that 20 to 40, uh, probably like 25 to 35, a lot of pe- women are having families, starting their families yeah. out. Yeah. And for me, um, having a family was a, a fear-based type situation too, because you're unsure of yourself, yeah. even in that space. Yeah. And um, the interesting part though is, is men, and I can even see this with like my little 13-year-old and my 17-year-old. But guys in general are are confident whether they know if they can do it or not. Like in yes. their own head, they can yes. do anything. Yep. But confidence doesn't equal competence. True. So True. Um, that was what I was seeing in my research is these people, these, these men that come in, they're like in their 20s, they're like, yeah, I can do everything. I'm capable of it all. And then they start learning. And they, through even, they even sometimes step into situations that they're not prepared for. Like they have yes. no idea what in the heck's going on with um, commercial insurance, for example. I mean, a lot of people feel like they can't go from personal lines to commercial lines because the fact they feel like they don't know what they're doing in commercial and right. they have this fear base around it, right? Men or women. I think women have a harder time jumping into that. Men are like, all right, let's go. We're going to learn, blah, blah, blah. Women want to go out and learn it all first and want to get it. I got to say me, same thing. And I mean, I've owned the agency now 19 years and we're, we're moving more in a, and we're expanding into a commercial space, but I've been terrified about that. I'm like, Oh, I know personal lines, like the back of my hand, I can do that all day long. But the idea is, is that I didn't want to go screw with somebody on the end of their commercial if I was going to do something wrong. But whenever mm-hmm. I hear about commercial insurance, people are like, Oh, just jump on in there and you're going to figure it out as you go. I couldn't do that. And I literally have been struggling with this for probably five years. And I just decided to take little baby steps and just step forward because there were no other answers. I asked the question a million times 
you know, where else can I get this training as an agency owner? Cause I don't have, you know, an owner to teach me necessarily. And so, and, and a lot of training programs are like, oh no, you're the agent. You can't be, you're the owner. You can't be in this. It's only for producers. It's only for people who work in the agency, not people who own it. And I just got very stuck. And as a woman, mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that, but a man, oh man, they just jump right in there and they may have no idea what the heck they're doing. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so it's really interesting to see that. And, um, so on the other end of the spectrum mm. though, men become less confident in their abilities in their forties. So that's the really, really interesting part. Yeah. So women, our confidence gets built up because we've seen what we can do. And we're like, yeah, we're capable. Like I would have never thought two years ago that I could, I would write a book or I was capable of it. Right. Yep. Yep. But I was right in that, that sweet spot in my age where I was like, well, let's, let me just try. Let me just see what happens. I've done all these other things in my career and I had success. Let me see if I can have success doing this or at least get this out there. And um, men start seeing that all the mistakes that they made between 20 and 40, and then they, they doubt themselves because they're reflecting on the mistakes that they made when they were overly confident, but not competent. Ah. So it actually reverses um, at a certain age. Um, so that's, that's the really interesting part. And there's, there's a lot that can be done, though, on the um, company side. Women have different needs than men. And some of the names are similar, but a lot of it ha comes down to training. Like you said, if a woman can feel like they, they will have the right training in place to be able to be successful in a position and they have the right kind of um, support system, we're more likely to go for it um, versus a guy that's like, you know, I'll just, I'll just figure it out. Like if I fall, I fall and I'll just get back up and keep figuring it out. Um, it's just, it's just different the way our brains think we compartmentalize more. Um, actually they, they compartmentalize more, I think. And then we're more like, our brains are kind of like all over the place where it all like intertwines and we overthink. And we sometimes uh, put us ourselves in analysis paralysis where you're like overthinking yes. every scenario, freak yep. out. Whereas guys are just like, okay, well, here's my box. I'll just do that box. And, um, so it's really interesting because like we're so much stronger as a unit working together and learning how, okay, these are, these are the uh, strengths of men. And, um, and, and some of those strengths are, are women's strengths too, but th these are what, this is maybe what a guy needs. Maybe they need more time. Like maybe their confidence, they're overconfident and we need to give them a little more competence. But this woman, she's over here, she's competent. She just doesn't believe in herself. She still deserves a chance. We need to put thing. We need to put some um, career pathing in her way, some um, training in her way. And I don't know about you, but I had little to no training <laughs> in Transfield. I had to figure it out as I went yep. because training, and especially on the agency side, a lot of agents don't train. They just kind of like figure it out. Yep. I have figured it out. You figure it out. Yeah. And, um, and it's scary when you're trying to figure things out and you're like, man, I hope I'm doing this right. I hope that this person has the proper kind of insurance if their house burns down, because I don't really know what I'm doing at this point. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. And we, we really worry about those things. And so I just hear, um, and even like talking to, to men and women, we just, we just think differently. And then the other thing is, is I, for a long time, um, 
I thought of myself as a loser because I was like in my mid thirties and I would see, I would compare myself to these other people that didn't have children uh, and yeah. their careers took off much more quickly, but I didn't, I didn't ever attribute that to, I had kids young. So I started having kids in my mid twenties and got married at 21. And um, so I just started my family life at a younger age, not even that young, but at a young age. And some of these other people didn't start their family lives until they're in their mid thirties. Yeah. Well, while you're, when you're in your mid thirties, you've had plenty of time to build your career. When you're in your mid twenties, you're just getting started, but also you have a family that you're really focused on because they're, they're young and they need you. Um, and so that was another factor was how do we overcome that barrier? Yeah. Um, and then also maybe we don't compare ourselves to like, maybe I should say, okay, well, my success is going to come just take a little longer because I start a family younger. Yeah. Um, so they may slow down at 35 and I may speed up at 35 because now my kids can, you know, feed themselves at this point. <laughs> right. right. Maybe they have those ones that are younger and they've got to be home earlier and you've got ones a little bit older. And you know, like me, I started, I got married at 19, had my first kid a month into 19 or a month into 20. And, um, you know, mine are uh, 28 and 22 <clears throat> and I mean, I'm 48 years old. So being 45, when my daughter decided to go to college and she went to college in Denver and I'm in Dallas, she was my baby. And, uh, my son was mm -hmm. living with me. Um, he was 23 at that point. So by, by, by 40, pretty much 38, 40, my kids, both my kids were driving. Both my kids were, had jobs. They were doing their own thing. Most 38, 40 year olds don't have that. I mean, most of them are, you know, they definitely have the um, younger kids, maybe the, then they have the teenagers, right? The younger teenagers, like the, you know, the 11 year old or the 13 year old kind of thing. Mine were driving, mine were out of the house, right? So I mm -hmm. just had a different level. So I totally get what you're saying because I can definitely say that when I was 20 to 28, I didn't, I didn't have a career. I was taking care of babies. I was taking care of kids, right? My youngest was three when I was 28. And, um, but most people, they spend that time building a career. So by 30, I might have a year or two of, 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 of a little bit more freedom with having, you know, a little bit, my kids were getting to where they could, they could have a little bit more freedom, you know, whereas other people were getting going in that direction. So I totally get how that is completely everybody has their own season of life, right? Everybody mm -hmm. has their own season of life. I think we also are more nurturing as a woman, as far as like our parents go, we step up and we take care of our parents more if they are um, physically in need. Um, and so that may play a part too in different areas, child rearing, taking care of our parents, taking care of our spouse's parents, right? Mm -hmm. And because we do that. Um, but I think, I think women need to be conscious of that that right. everything has a season. It does, yeah. And I think we judge ourselves too much. And also, um, I mean, I get frustrated like with my husband because um, I was a bread, I, I was the runner winner and I'm finally getting kind of back to that level again for the longest time in my family. However, if one of my kids was sick, guess who stayed home with them every single time? Because his job was always more important than my job, even though I was making twice the money. Mm -hmm. And I think like that needs to change, like in the employer's mind and the, the man's mind, like if you have kids, you have 50% responsibility of taking off and taking care of them. If you have parents to take care of, why is your wife taking care of your mom? If she's sick, why are you not the one stepping up 
because we all need to have our own space and be able to share those responsibilities so that we're not penalized for taking mm. off to take care of others. And the one thing that I kept seeing over and over and over again, and something I hear a lot too, and something I see in myself is I think soft skills are the number one most important thing that we need in our industry. Who are better at empathizing and having those soft skills than women? Yeah, I don't think anyone, and I don't think anyone could argue with that. So if we're, if we're like really good at, you know, making sure the client feels safe and secure, and we're going to take care of them um, during a claim situation, and we really care about them versus someone who's just trying to make sure they get all their numbers. Um, and we need both kinds of people in the industry. I'm not saying we don't, but we need a balance of that um, to where it's more, you know, we even out that playing field, we don't make it so difficult. And also like, um, one story that I share in the book, I got let go for having my first baby. And so there's mm. like an assumption that you don't want to work if you have a baby. That was just 16 years ago. It wasn't even that long ago when you think about it. So that shouldn't be something that happens. <laughs> I can't even imagine that that would even be legal, actually, you know, because I, I would yeah. see that as discrimination. I mean, but I, I don't think that, I think that so much of the insurance industry, especially on the agency side, is self- um, Mon uh, regulating, like, you know, mm -hmm. we're not part of a big corporation, yeah. right? I mean, typically, um, especially on the independent channel, right? I mean, you have all state, you have state farm, you have farmers, they're, they're part of a, mm -hmm. a larger network, but on the independent agency side, um, who's going to call them out? I mean, if an agency owner says, bah, unless you, unless a woman has the courage to sue somebody right. or officially go after them, who's going to call them out? Right. And right. I think that gives maybe some owners a little bit too much um power over us it does mm -hmm. it does and yeah and i would say like as far as industry goes i'd say the agency side because there's so many small agencies and a lot of them are older are um, employed are owned by sorry i was not saying it right owned by older men mm -hmm. um, maybe with older mindsets and then the problem is is a lot of times those older men may train a younger man and train them like that younger man may come in with all these ideas of like, yeah, I'm going to um, like, I really believe in equality and equal mm -hmm. potential for everyone. And then the, the owner shows them a different side or shows them mm -hmm. what they see, what they think, and they'll change their mindset, not for the better. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, but and it can also work the other way. Like if you have a um, really, you know, great, um, you know, owner of a, of an agency and you have, you know, unlimited potential, like, it's like, Hey, where do you see yourself? And you give a good example to all your people below you. Cause it all trickles down. Yep. So what they see leadership do, they're going to mimic because they're like, okay, this person's been successful. So we're going to, we're going to mimic that behavior. And, you know, every layer goes down and it's not just, so the agency side, I would say is the toughest and is the hardest. And when I've been to conferences um, or talked with people, a lot of times, like I've never been an owner of a business or an owner of an agency. So if I tell them that, you know, here I am, you know, a young, somewhat young woman talking, like thinking I know what I'm talking about. And I do know what I'm talking about a lot of times. They'll tell me to be quiet because I'm just a producer. You're just a, a woman producer. You don't have an owner agency. Why are you talking? And mm. I got that, I've gotten that several different times. And we, 
we don't need like everyone to go open up an agency. We need people to want to work for all our different agencies, but also, um, so like the the agency side gets away with more because a lot of the agencies are smaller and are able to, and they they hire younger people and kind of overturn them pretty quickly. It's the, um, the company side, maybe they're not as bad and there might not be as many issues on the lower level as far as, you know, someone's not going to get lo- let go from State Farm for having a baby because they would be sued out the wazoo and that would be <laughs> exactly. all over the place. That's not going to happen. Right. That's not going to happen. Mm. And they're going to have the appearance of having some equality there. But what you see is you see a certain level and I interviewed some people from some pretty large companies, you see a certain level where you're, where you're not seeing women break through that glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. And there, it's not that it's not from lack of trying. It's from being told it's not your time. Like that's, that was like the, a similar statement mm-hmm. that was being, that was told to me by several women that I interviewed was they would get to this like lower management level and they would just like, you know, kill it in their department, be the best, get the best numbers um, do everything that they asked them do. And they would, they would be asked to train other people and they would think, okay, if I train this person, I do really well, I'm going to move up. And then when they would go and talk to their employer, their manager, like, Hey, like, you know, I've trained this person. I've done really well. I have this team. They're doing really well. I think, you know, it's time to talk about like what my next, um, path is or what my next move is. And, um, a lot of times they'd say, well, when we're ready, we'll tell you. It's not your time yet. Really, And uh, one common thing that I was seeing across the board was the same women would say that they would train people and they would be a lot of times young men that they would train that were just getting into the industry. And then those young men would surpass them like several mm. levels up. And so, so there's, there's still that it's not as apparent in large companies, but there's still that really large glass ceiling even on the company side that aren't, isn't being revealed as much unless you dig deeper and really look at it. Interesting. Interesting. Huh? So what can, so what can women do? And not that it's a woman's responsibility. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever, but what can we do either on the corporate side or on the agency side, whatever, to make ourselves more, um, visible for those 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 promotions and so forth and then on the other side of that definitely there's there's the role that the 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 other levels the the senior you know need to look look more at women and so forth as well and and so forth but I mean because I mean I come back to the idea are we asking for that and I know you're saying women Mm -hmm. are asking and they're not getting it so Mm -hmm. is there something that we could do like maybe I'm not gonna say call people out because that's not what I want to be able to say at all but um uh I don't know I don't even know really what I'm asking I'm just asking is there something maybe that we could do to maybe empower other women and or ourselves to be able to break that glass ceiling how are we going to be able to achieve that for other women and for for our children for our for our daughters behind us Right. And that's, that's exactly like my daughter was my inspiration for, and my drive behind the book, because I want to see the world change for the better. I want things to become less hard for her, um, in the future. And, um, and then I also wanted to shed some light because, you know, there is the complaint that we don't have enough talent. 
So like my ask in the book is more um, on the on the woman's side, I just want women to be able to feel heard and see that other women are going through it, that they're not alone. So for a lot of, yes. a lot of years, I was told this is not the company's fault. You're, you're either choosing bad companies or you're the problem because you're the common denominator. And, you know, that would be kind of like the end of the conversation. You know, you're, you're the problem, Sarah. It's not, huh. it's not the, it's not an industry problem. It's not, it's not what you think it is. Well, and a lot of women are told that. And then when we try to speak up, we're shut up. Mm-hmm. Um, I would put it that way. And that's why I, I really, I wanted to call it undiscovered voices because I have several stories of women, you know, finally being able to share like this, this is what's happening. This is what happens when I speak up. And so my, uh, my solution in the book, because I talk a lot about how do we solve the talent crisis and we can't, women can't do it alone. We have to do it together. Yeah. We have to do it as an industry together. And so, um, if the men want more talent, they have all the talent they need. They just have to see it. They have to discover it, if you will. Um, bless you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like I'm trying to mute myself before I sneeze and all of a sudden it goes away. Oh, uh, I apologize. Sorry, allergies. <laughs> Sidebar. Wow. Sorry, and it just but, went away as soon as you said that. It's so funny. <laughs> um, but um, at the end of the day, it's it's communicating. So it's mm. it's creating these open communication environments that feel safe. Because yes. for me personally, when I've spoken up and I've been told, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Well, eventually you do shut up because yeah. you realize you're just making it harder for yourself by speaking up. Yep. And then you don't feel safe to speak up because you get to a point where you've learned from all the times you try to speak up and you got told to shut up. And um, even as like, you know, young women and young kids, a lot of times as, as women go, like we're told to be quiet, be small, be, you know, don't, don't make any waves, you know, that's, that's what's attractive in a woman. So there's a lot of society, <clears throat> societal issues as well that go along. And I go into the, you know, what's the problem? Why is there a problem? Why, what are the benefits of women in insurance um, and leadership? And then what are some companies that have done this really well? And it all boils down to communication. It all boils mm. down to being able to have open, safe dialogue with your employees and show like if you're if you're showing your um, everyone from your lower level to your upper levels where their future could be and how they reach the achieve those higher levels and what their path is. And you can see them, okay, like I'm going to mentor this person because this is going to help my career and um, even incentivize because a lot of times like in sales, you're almost punished for helping other people because you're taking time away from your sales to help yep. someone else. Yep. So if you incentivize people like, Hey, you help this person, like, let's say you help them double their sales. And like, I know that maybe your sales are going to go down, you know, 2% or whatever it is. I don't know. But this other person's sales goes up 50%. Um, not that you would give a, give a percentage, but maybe we're going to give you a couple extra dollars an hour or, or give you extra time off. For me, time off pays more than anything because I love vacation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we're going to give you some more time off to incentivize you. And then maybe you'll reach this next level a little bit quicker because we see that you can take on a leadership position yes. by helping others. And it really like 
it starts with communication. It starts with like letting people feel not just heard, but also that they see a future. Because if you see a future and feel mm -hmm. valued where you're at, why you don't leave? You know, typically right. people who feel valued and feel like they have a future, they stay where they're at. Yep. And yep. when you feel like when you hit a glass ceiling and you're just like, and you're told, and I was told like in one of my positions, you're never going to move past this, this producer role because that's all you are. You're a producer. That's all you'll ever be. We don't see you as anything more. And I'm like, well, I'm in my early thirties. So I, I didn't see my forever future just being in that role. I wanted more. And I would, you know, go to them and tell them, okay, I've trained this person. I've done this, you know, I want more. And they say no. And so that's, that's why people leave because I didn't see growth potential where I was at. Had they right. given me opportunities and growth potential, I wouldn't have left. Right. I would have stayed. Still be there. Right. And a lot of times people enjoy their job, but they just want more, right? They just want to, at least like you said, they want to have a future, right? Rather than sitting mm -hmm. in the same cubicle, the same seat, the same position. And if we as industry participants can cast that vision for ourselves, for, for our team members, for the other people behind us and in front of us, then mm -hmm. I think, like you said, I think that that helps propel people forward. I like that a lot. Yeah. And so, and so the, the really cool thing is, and my very favorite part of the book, I have my daughter write about Gen Z. So I have oh, her write the last chapter for me. Um, and I would say she's probably a better writer than I am. But <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she wrote um, a beautiful um, couple pages. And basically it was about that chapter was about how do we attract because like for the longest time it was like how do we attract millennials well let's face it millennials are grown. And yeah. um, we still want to attract them and we still want to um, you know try to like uh, recruit them, but I think like I think the youngest millennial is like 26 27 like they're Probably, like yeah. in their mid 20s, whereas Gen Z is now they're now you know the 17 or my daughter's 17 but they're they're now like just starting to figure out like what do I want to be when I grow up or some of them may be just finishing college so and what they look for is they look for um a lot of social justice like they're really into what does this company stand for do I do I see them as doing the greater good um do I see potential for me helping the world and making an impact in the world? And I personally see insurance as a huge positive impact in the world when we're helping yep. somebody during a devastating time. And we're able to say, you know, don't worry, you're covered. I'm gonna, we're gonna get you taken care of. Like what could be more, you know, warm and fuzzy and good about that? You know, like it's not good for the person going through it, but at least you know that you can be there to help them. Exactly. that you're holding their hand through the process. And um, if we can show that to the next generation, like, hey, like we've made some strides. Um, we, we're having more women move up. We're really like trying to equalize um, this industry and make it easier and better. And it's gonna be like the best opportunity of a lifetime. Like look at all these other successful women, women and the men will join in too, because it's not just girls that feel this way. It's boys that feel this way too. You know, they, they want, they want to do something that matters. That's impactful. It's not just about yeah. the money. Yep. And so if we're showing them that, like, Hey, we're making all these awesome impacts in the world and we're, 
really have all this unlimited growth potential, not just for men, but for women, for everyone, why would you not want to be in this industry? So then we're going to have all these people, like we're going to have so much talent that we're going to be like, all right, we got enough, go find somewhere yep. else to work. Yeah. It won't and be I think, a subject anymore. Yeah. And I think we're seeing too, some really interesting, you know, cause like uh, what in the last 10 years, I think colleges have come up with risk management as a degree. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's super cool that people can either go on the corporate side for risk management or on the agency side for risk management, or, I mean, data side. I mean, there's so many different areas where that can go. I would love to see the industry really capitalize on those, like you said, Gen Zs, graduating, bringing in interns, bringing in that new energy and really encouraging women through that process as they are having their children, as they are building their career, as they are establishing who they are as an adult and as a human being to really bring up a really, really confident next generation of women in the insurance space. That, that's my big challenge out there to the world is that we are to empower the next generation. In fact, I, I say that as my daughter um, is literally studying for her insurance license exam and she is joining oh. us. So she, she officially quit her job she was selling motorcycles, very male-driven um, industry, mm -hmm. and um, she is coming to join us over here at the agency. So I'm super pumped about that. She's literally studying right now. I hope she'll take her test next week. Um, so, you know, and she's 23. So I am pumped that we're having this conversation as we are seeing more uh, women and Gen Zs, period, men and women, come into the insurance space with a degree in what it is that we do. I mean, how many of us started without yeah. even knowing because we answered an ad in the yellow pages or something, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we didn't know what we were getting into when we entered the insurance mm -hmm. industry. Mm -hmm. We didn't even know what the word risk meant. No, <laughs> I don't even think I understood insurance my first five years I worked in it. <laughs> true, true, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know what, Sarah, this has been amazing. So if people want to get your book, read your book, if people want to connect with you, how can they connect with you so that that way they can get the answers that they need? Absolutely. So um, I'm on LinkedIn and it's just Sarah Muniz on LinkedIn. I don't know what my actual like at LinkedIn, but I'm pretty easy to find. Um, I think like on my uh, profile, it'll say like insurance nerd, book author, and then car karaoke. So I'm feeling, feeling like there's not another ceremony. I love car so karaoke. Bad. Right. Right. <laughs> as long as no one can hear me, I'm safe with karaoke. <laughs> um, <laughs> so LinkedIn is a great place to connect with me. Um, my book is available on Amazon. And right now, if you put in undiscovered voices, it is actually moved up to the first book that pops up. Congratulations. Thanks. So I'm not sure what that means yet, but I just know that mine was number five when it first started in January 21st. And now that it's two weeks in, it's popping up number one. Um, so that's a good sign. So you should be able to easily find it on Amazon. Um, also on Insurance Nerds, there's a landing page. Um, it's called undiscoveredvoicesinsurance.com. So you can find me that way as well. And um, I'm looking forward to connecting with more um, awesome women and other awesome people in the industry.
Well, Sarah, thank you so much for your service to the industry, not only just as you taking care of your clients, but also being a voice for women in the insurance industry. I know that you're out there making the world better for generation tomorrow and the generation today, you know, for, for women in the insurance space. And I hope men also read the book and really embrace the ideas because I know that you have in there, uh, we've talked about some ways that we can, as leaders in the industry, encourage women but I really hope that men also step, step in and don't see this as a book for women. They see it right. as a book, how to empower women in our insurance space. Cause that's really, really the intent. And, and like you said, the 60, what did you say? 60% of the industry is women. Mm -hmm. So if we look at that, everybody needs to read your book because we all work with a woman in one way or another. And how can we help to be able to get their voices out and encourage them to achieve the careers that they really want in this industry. So thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, everybody, this is another amazing episode of the power of women in insurance, where we talk to amazing women in all aspects of insurance every single Wednesday. Check us out on YouTube, check us out on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you are. We also have a Facebook group called Power Women in Insurance. Make sure you check us out on Facebook and Instagram. And if you know of other amazing women in the insurance industry, hook up with me on LinkedIn or any of those other platforms. And please send me their information because we are here to highlight women, their journey, and be able to talk about how we can empower the next generation of women in the insurance space. Everybody, I'll talk to you next Wednesday. Have a great day.